Good morning. As you're going there, I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you to everyone who worked hard last week to uh, put together an installation service and everyone who came out for that. And it was uh, a blessing for us uh, to be a part of that and to be able to share in that together with you all. And so many of you gave us cards and some people gave us cards today and we just thank you all for uh, I know I've said before, but uh, it's not exactly the easiest thing moving that far away from family and everybody, but you all have made that so much easier than uh, it could have been just because you all have been so good to us so far. So thank you for all the things that you have done for us. First um, Peter chapter 5. I want to look today... Uh, <clears throat> One of the uh, things that is absolutely necessary in the church today is, number one, I think that we would uh, simply put thought into our spiritual walk. Right? I think I've said before, but the Bible says to train yourself to be godly. And anyone who trains to do something, to do it well, puts thought into training, right? There is not any Olympic runner that just randomly does things every day to get to the point where they're, where they're at to run in the Olympics. There's not anybody who is a professional baseball player who has not thought through some sort of method for training to get where they're going, right? There, there is some sort of, uh, you know, reg, training regimen that you go through. There is something where you actually stop and you think about what you're doing. I, I've, uh, uh, I love hockey, and there's a lot of hockey players, especially the ones that have been able to play into their 40s, uh, which isn't many of them, but they have thought through even their diet. They are very, very strict, the things that they take in and how they train themselves. And one of the first things that we have to do as Christians is be thoughtful about our spiritual walk. Now, that sounds simple, right? But the problem is it is very easy for us to get distracted, isn't it? Every day there is something that is pulling at your attention. There is something, I mean, you turn on your TV and there are countless commercials trying to get you to buy something, right? Because you need this so that you will be happy. Your car is not good enough, so you should probably buy this one. There is something constantly pulling at our attention. So it is, it is absolutely essential that we think through uh, our spiritual walk and give it our attention. And, and considering if we truly believe that salvation is what it is, if we truly believe that without Christ we are walking in spiritual death, if we truly believe that, why on earth would we not put thought daily into our, our spiritual walk with Him? Or simply, if God is who He says He is, if, if He is the Creator of all things, if the Bible, like the Bible says He dwells in unapproachable light, yet we have the opportunity through Christ to walk with Him daily, if we have the opportunity to walk with the Creator of the universe, why would we ever choose anything else? Why would we not think through uh, some sort of way of, of keeping ourselves uh, in line, keeping ourselves walking with Him, keeping ourselves walking in step with the Spirit so that we may know more and more of Him? So it, it requires our constant attention. There's never a moment where we can stop uh, thinking about our, our growth. I think Francis Chan, it might have been in the book Crazy Love, but he talked about what happens if you step into a river and you stop swimming. You're going upstream. If you stop swimming, what happens? 
you immediately start going back, right? There is never a moment in a river where you are stationary. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives. If we are either swimming uh, towards God, we are, we are moving towards Him, and the second we stop and turn our eyes to other things, we start pulling away. We start losing sight of Him. We start going back downstream. Uh, so it is essential as Christians that we evaluate ourselves, actually put thought and time into evaluating ourselves and understanding where we're at spiritually. Uh, but we have to understand also, um, seek the correct foundation for our spiritual lives, uh, that we would have a living faith that is nourished by a root system that is established in the nature and character of Christ. So the, the root of all things, and we'll talk about this a little more as we go, but the root of all things, the foundation of our being as, as a Christ follower would be the nature and character of Christ, and everything else we are flows out of that foundation or is built on that foundation. Now that requires us to know who Christ is, right? That requires us to pursue Him, to pursue a knowledge of Him, number one, through His Word. He's revealed Himself, through the, God has revealed Himself through His Word, and all of the things that are written about Christ. The Bible says that Christ is the exact representation of the Father. Everything that is written about Christ, everything that happened in His life, represents the Father. The point is that we know Him by what is written about Him. I love in uh, um, the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man has all the good things and he eventually dies and he goes to hell and Lazarus didn't have anything and he was he went to heaven and the rich man was uh, in hell and he looks on and he, he just asks for uh, Lazarus to come and dip his finger in water and touch his tongue. Uh, and we know that he goes on to talk about how there's a chasm between them. They can't, he can't do that. And uh, So the rich man is suffering and he goes on and he says, then nothing can be done for me. Will you send Lazarus back to, I think he said his brothers, uh, so that they will know and believe. And he is told, they have the law and the prophets. They have everything written. If they don't believe that, they're not going to believe anything. So the point is that some, too many times we are looking for all of these big things. We're looking for these huge miracles. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't believe God for miracles. We should. But too many times our faith hinges on seeing some big miracle or seeing God uh, drop out of the sky and, and do this some, some huge, uh, awesome thing that we never would have expected. And again, I don't want you to misunderstand that we should believe God for things that are supernatural. We should believe that. But we can't hinge our faith on those things alone. The, the, the Bible says that the words that are written are enough for us to believe. The things that are written about God and the things that are written about Christ are enough for us to know God and walk with Him. That's enough. Uh, so we have to seek the correct foundation for uh, our spiritual walk. And it is the nature and, and character of Christ at work in us. Uh, we understand that uh, the root of all things, the root of everything, I, I, there's an amazing book by Andrew Murray. It's simply called Humility. That's what we're going to be talking about today is, is, is humility. But uh, he writes in his book about uh uh, the root of every sin is pride. And you can trace everything back to that. I mean, if you look at even, uh, uh, you know, greed, I will st- I'll store up provision for myself and I don't care who I step over along the way. Right? I'm going to get whatever I need, whatever I want, and I don't care how it affects anybody else. Or you look at, uh, even we talked about, I think, uh, two weeks ago, 
uh, we talked about the, the Bible says in, in Proverbs there's seven things that God hates. And the last one is one who spreads discord among brothers. What is discord? It's I, I am king of my life. I am king of my life and I have this kingdom within myself and somebody has offended my kingdom and I'm going to let them know it. And I'm never going to stop letting them know it. And even when they know it, I'm going to keep reminding them of it. That's, that's somehow how it works. We have discord. We spread discord among others because I have this sense of pride that I have been offended. And I'm going to let everybody know it. And you could trace, it's not just those things, it could be anything. If you trace some sinful act back to the beginning, it, it goes back to self-will. It goes back to pride in myself. Me wanting myself to be preeminent above all things. Uh, so, you see it in the culture today. You see it everywhere around us. Everyone today is governed by what we think and feel. What I think and feel is, supersedes what you think and feel. And that's what our life revolves around now. Just whatever everybody thinks and feels at any given moment. That's what we go with. I was at... Uh, I was at, uh, my brother enlisted in the Air Force last summer, and I think he left, I think he left in August to go to, to basic training, and, uh, we were able to go in that October down to, uh, Lackland Air Force Base to see him graduate, and it was, uh, it was an amazing thing. There must have been, I don't know how many there were, it was probably seven or eight hundred people that graduated. It was, it was a very large thing, but, uh, so we went down there, and they do all their ceremonies, and they're standing out there, uh, on the, you know, there's this huge, huge, uh, uh, you know, just open area pavement that they do their, their graduation on, and they're all standing out there, and so they get through all their thing, and at the end of it, uh, the people doing the ceremony said, they probably said at least five times, uh, so what had to happen was they, the, all of the, the people that went through training, this was the first time the family would get to see them and actually be close to them. So we would have to sit in the bleachers and they couldn't move until somebody from their family went and touched them. Because it would have been confusion for everybody to just run all over the place and try to find each other. So, so my brother's standing out there in the midst of everybody. He couldn't move until one of our family members got to him to touch him. So, uh, they, they must have said at least five times, do not run. Telling the people, you know, in the stands, once you get, don't, do not run to them. Do not run, just walk. What do you think happened? first person that hit the pavement, they were sprinting, right? Uh, and, and that's a stupid example, but my point is you see that in everything today. It's just, well, I, I, know that, I know they said this, I know they said not to do this, but it's okay if I do it, right? It's a sense of pride. It's a sense of uh, just feeling entitled to whatever I feel, whatever I think. That, that's what we are, our culture is permeated with nowadays, and we have to be very careful as Christians to understand, um, number one, that that's a terrible representation of God if that's what we, if that's the example that we set, right? That's a very bad example of, of Christ and who He is. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, Andrew Murray said this. He said, Humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is from the very nature of things the first duty and highest virtue of man. It is the root of every virtue. So humility, my dependence on God in all things, in everything, is the highest virtue, is the root of everything. 
It is the root of all Christian virtue. Everything that I can do, you think about the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, uh, self-control. I don't know if I missed any, but all of those things, the root of that is my dependence on God, my understanding that I am nothing, that I have no capacity for those things. I have no capacity to live out those things the way that Christ would. Now, we have the opportunity in life, I I believe that humans in themselves, without God, can reform some behaviors. We can work to reform some behaviors, but that doesn't change your heart. That doesn't change who you are. That doesn't change uh, the, the, the essence of your being. And that's what we're going for, is not just taking on, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but but humility, when we're talking about that, we're not just talking about a character attribute. We're not just talking about me having humility. We're talking about the essence of my being uh, clothed with the beauty of Christ and His person and all that He is, and that's humility. We're talking about the foundation of who I am and everything that flows out of that being humility. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about one attribute among many. We're talking about the foundation of all things as humility uh, as opposed to pride. Uh, so First uh, Peter chapter 5, we're going to start in... Uh, in verse 1, it says to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So he says in the beginning here in verse uh, 5, the last half of verse uh, 5, he says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So the word here, uh, the Greek word here for clothe, when he says clothe yourself uh, with humility toward one another, the word here for clothe uh, translates, it's basically saying gird yourselves with humility or the word alludes to an article of clothing that would have been worn by slaves at the time. So when he's talking about that word, when Peter is writing this letter, he is talking using a word that represents an article of clothing that slaves would have worn to be marked uh, as a servant. Somebody would have looked on this person and seen that they were wearing this. Okay, that's a servant. That's a person who is a slave. That's what he is talking about in this moment. So clothe yourselves with humility. Take on this article of clothing that would mark you as uh, as a servant, as a slave. Now, you, the amazing thing about this is uh, Peter, when he was writing this, there's no doubt that he would have, at that time, when he used that word, he would have been referring and remembering what Christ had done for him. And we all remember what happened at the Last Supper when Christ was in the upper room with his disciples. John chapter 13 says this in verse 33. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? 
Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now that I, uh, this is verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. So Peter, he was carried along by the Spirit of God. The Bible says that these, these men were not writing out of their own power, but they were carried along by the Spirit to write the things that they wrote for our benefit today, to know who Christ was. So he's using, in First Peter, he's using a word that says, clothe yourselves with humility. He's using that word that refers to the garment that the slaves would have worn to mark themselves as servants. And in the same way, he's looking back on what Christ done, the example of the Savior, who in the midst of that supper, he got up and he clothed himself to do something that a slave would have done, to do what a servant would have done. He's looking on the example of Christ and he's saying, you do the same thing. Christ said that in John 13. He said, uh, now that I have done, uh, washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example uh, that you should do as I have done for you. And he's not only talking about foot washing. While I believe that we should do that as the church together, I believe that we should do those things together. He's also talking about the act of humility. He's also talking about when he stood up and he put on that garment that marked him as a servant. He's saying, you should do the same thing. If I, your Savior, can take on this garment to mark myself as a servant, why would I ever expect that you wouldn't do that? Why would you think that you could be greater than me? You see, there's too many things. I, I've, I've seen it even with foot washing. And I'm not saying, I, if you have not taken part of that, I'm not trying to hammer you at all. I, it is an uncomfortable thing. It is. But the point is, being a servant sometimes is uncomfortable. Why? Because, we, as we talked about earlier, we have this kingdom within us that we want to protect. I have my little kingdom that I want to protect at all times from all invaders who might try to offend me or might try to destroy my kingdom. I'm going to protect it. And bowing myself before somebody and washing their feet is a humbling act. And that doesn't really build up my own kingdom. right? You can't perform an act like that and have this uh, uh, prideful look at yourself and your own kingdom. You, it doesn't go together. That's why it's hard to do something like that. But the point is that our Savior said, if I am willing to, to, to serve somebody in this way, and again, not just washing feet, but anything else He did, if I am willing to serve someone this way, my servants shouldn't expect to do anything less. Oswald Chambers said something along the lines of, if you've never read the, the devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, I talk about it a lot, just so you know where I'm getting that from. Uh, My Utmost for His Highest is a very, very good uh, devotional book by Oswald Chambers. But he said something uh, along the lines of, when we understand that Christ has served us to the end of our meanness, it should be no problem for us then in turn to serve men to the end of theirs. And sometimes we, we have a higher view of ourself thinking that we haven't been that bad. Christ saved me, but He saved me from sin that wasn't as bad as this person's. In the sight of God, every person's sin is just as miserable as the next. So it doesn't matter what I think of somebody else's. It doesn't matter if I think mine is better than theirs or not as bad. In the eyes of God, that's what we're talking about. You understand, we have to get to the point as the church where I'm not judging myself based on the person next to me. I have to set myself before uh, 
the piercing eyes of Christ who sees the depths of my soul, the worst things in me. He sees every bit of that. And understand that He has served me to the end of that. And in turn, I should be able to serve others. So Christ served us. The King took on the garment of a slave to serve His people. So we clothe ourselves with the beauty of the life of Christ. That is the foundation to everything that we do as Christians, is being clothed with the beauty of the life of Christ. Again, not an attribute, but the foundation to everything, the humility of Christ. So then, the expression of humility begins in God's church. As we as we take on that foundation, as we begin to know Christ in that way, as we allow Him to be the foundation of all things, then the expression of that starts in God's church. Because, right, if we can't express God's love together in this place, how can we expect that anyone in the world is going to see that? The expression of God's love starts in the church, and that's what Peter's talking about here in, the, in this passage. Uh, he says uh, in verse 1, he says, To the elders among you I appeal as, fel- as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not learning it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. So he starts out by talking about the responsibility that leaders have. And he says, as elders, uh, as, be shepherds of the flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. Uh, so, the first thing that we have to know, talking talking to leaders. Now, I'm not talking just to people on the elders or the deacons. I'm, I'm, we're talking in this moment to anybody who's any sort of, any sort of leadership in the church. He says, first of all, that you should be a shepherd of the flock, not because you have to, but because you are willing. That I shouldn't be the person, and that that just constantly complains about the responsibility that I have been entrusted with. Now, there are times where things get a little frustrating in the church. I've been in ministry for uh, 11 years, a little over now. There are moments where things can be a little frustrating. There are moments where uh, people want things and expect things of you that not one person can ultimately fulfill in themselves. They want you to be everything. And this isn't just a pastor. Sometimes this is, this is any leader. They want you to be the person that fixes everything. It's not possible for one person. It's not. But the point is that in spite of sometimes the ex- expectations of people or, or whatever they put on you, my I should make sure that my uh, attitude towards serving in ministry is that I am serving God, number one, serving God and not man. I'm serving man, but my motivation is my Savior. That He has called me, and I am willing to do the work because He has called me. But two, my heart should be to see people come to know God in a deeper way. Come to know God in a way where they are clothed with the humility of Christ, where the foundation of their spiritual walk is the humility of Christ. My desire as a leader should be that. 
in the lives of all those entrusted to my care. The same with anyone here who is a teacher or on the deacons or elders, whatever your capacity of leadership is, your desire should be. God has called us and entrusted us with a responsibility in his church. And that's an amazing thing, number one, to think that God would use any one of us to do anything for him. But he has entrusted us with that, and because of that, the great responsibility given to me, I will do it because God has asked me. Not because I have to, because I want to serve my Savior, because I am willing to serve him, and because he was willing to serve men to the end of their meanness, I am willing to go the same direction. I am willing to walk the same path. I'm not telling you that that's not difficult at times. It's going to be difficult. But that should be our ultimate desire as leaders. So lead as one who is willing. Our concern for people in spite of their faults, not becoming bitter, that we wouldn't allow our, lit, our, our position as a leader to become just a simple list of duties. Sometimes uh, we come to the place where uh, our... Uh, and this couldn't, this might not be just leaders, but anybody in Christianity, we have a checklist of things. And if I do all of these things, then I'm a good Christian. Right? If, I, if I'm teaching, if I go to this event and I'm, I'm at the church three days a week and I'm doing this and this and this, then I'm a good Christian. If there is no heart behind it, it doesn't matter how many times you go to the church. It doesn't matter how many times you sit through a service. It doesn't matter how long you've been going to a church. I don't care if you've been a part of the church for 70 years. I don't care if you've been part of the church for a year. If your heart is not in it, then that means nothing. But but my point in that, what was my point in that? I was saying something with that. Uh, it shouldn't be a list a list of duties. Sometimes we we have to understand things with an eternal perspective as leaders. Whatever your leadership, leadership capacity is, we have to understand and think in light of eternity. When I am sitting in a classroom of children, which I won't be because I can't, like two children is good for me. Anything beyond that. <laughs> Listen, before we left Brookville, what was it in the last month sometime? Uh, something happened. Jamie and I did ju- junior church once in a while, so I would lead worship and then I would go out during the sermon to help her with that. And I don't know what happened, but she said, I, I can't make it today, you've got to do it yourself. It was good for about the first 15 minutes. And then it got out of control. And it was that way for the rest of the time. I could not keep them under control. Uh, but, but when one of us is sitting in a classroom with children, understanding not that I am filling time, not that I'm doing this just because we needed somebody to do it, not, not because we have this many, this amount of classes, we need this many teachers. Understand that I am, I am pouring myself into the life of a young person at the most, uh, foundational stage of their spiritual walk. I have the opportunity to speak into them. It's not I have to do this because nobody else wants to. I have the opportunity with this seven or eight year old, six year old, whatever it is, to speak life the life of Christ into their uh, spiritual walk and, and feed them. I have that opportunity. I have the opportunity to affect eternity. You understand that when you do that, when you perform that act with your eyes fixed on God, giving them substance out of your spiritual walk, giving them substance, that you are, you are doing something that affects eternity. It's not, it's not just a menial task. Everything that we do in the church affects eternity. We have to start viewing things in light of that. 
So he talks about leaders being shepherds of God's flock, uh, not because you have to, but because you're willing. And then he goes on uh, in verse 5, he says, In the same way, those who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. So he goes on to talk, and he's not, he's not simply talking about age here. He's not just talking about age. He's talking about those who are younger in faith, those who are under the care of others as leaders. Submit yourselves to them. Uh, first of all, this is a mutually submissive relationship. It's the same as... You know, you read the Bible says that uh, husband is is uh, the wife should submit to the husband, but the Bible goes on to talk about the, how the the husband should love the wife as Christ has loved the church. So that's a mutually submissive relationship. That's not one lording themselves over the other and being ruler of the other. That's uh, the man might be the head of the house, but he loves the wife like Christ loved the church and sacrificed himself for her and again, took on that garment of a slave to wash his disciples' feet in humility. So that's the act of the one who, who is puffed up saying, I'm the leader of the household. That should be his attitude. As I am a servant of my wife. Uh, so, so it's the same way when he's talking about leaders and those who are younger in this passage. He's talking about leaders shepherding the flock. He's talking about young people uh, or young in the faith submitting themselves to their leaders, but that's because their leaders are acting in a way that is humble towards those under their care. So that's the first thing in understanding this. Uh, you don't submit yourself to somebody who has... Uh, there's no reason to submit yourself to somebody who's not acting humbly, is what I'm saying. Uh, so that's the way it functions, should function in the church. Is the leaders are humble in serving the younger ones, and the younger in faith are submitting themselves to the leaders because... They care for them. Uh, Philippians 2 says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement in being with Christ, any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and mind. Uh, verse 3 says, do, not, do nothing out of selfish or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In a relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. Um, so that is what we are. That is the picture of how the church should be functioning together: being like-minded, considering others better than ourselves. You know, sometimes sometimes we need to do, I think, a better job of, of praying for spiritual things. A lot of times we, we, when we go to times of prayer, it's just about physical needs. And don't misunderstand me, we need to pray about physical needs. We absolutely should pray about physical needs. The Bible says we should pray about physical needs, and we should. Every time we're together, I think we should pray about those kind of things. But too many times that's the only thing that we should pray for. Uh, I, the Bible gives us a great... Uh, and I will, I will wrap this up soon, I promise.
The Bible gives us a great picture of uh, how to pray sometimes. Well, all the time, but it is so simple. If you if you don't know how to how to pray, if you are new to that, if if you've not really done that, all you need to do sometimes is take the Word of God and break it apart and make it your prayer. Now, I I have in some things that I have experienced in the last couple of years in the church, and someday maybe we'll talk about those things. But in the things I have seen in the culture and in the church and in struggles of the church, I am convinced until we come to the place in humility of praying these kind of things that we're always going to be powerless as the church. And what I mean by that is Romans chapter 12, it's starting in verse 9, it says these things, it says, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute. Bless you and do not, and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And it goes on and on through this chapter. But my point in that is to have the humility to pray the things that the Word of God says. How many times have you ever heard somebody praying this? God, help my love to be sincere. Help me to hate the things that are evil and cling to the things that are good. Help me to be devoted to those around me in brotherly love. God, help me to honor other people above myself. When was the last time you heard somebody pray that? Help me to honor somebody else above myself. Help me to honor my brothers and sisters of Christ above myself, that I would decrease And I would help them to increase. I love this again. Oswald Chambers said this, to be a disciple of Christ means that we deliberately identify ourselves with God's interests in others. To be a disciple means that we deliberately identify ourselves with God's interests in others. That means that I look on the people around me and I say, Dave, what is God's interest in Dave? What is God's interest in Dave and how do I identify myself with that? What is God's interest in Lynn? What is he interested in in Lynn and how do I identify myself in that work? And you look at the people around you because you you are not living in the place where you have this kingdom at work in your life that you have to defend. You have let go of all of that stuff and you look at the people around you and you identify yourself with God's work in them. Because you want to not just see yourself know God, but you want to see them know God. I don't want to see myself move forward and do well with everything so I get the praise of men, but I want to see them do well. I want to see God do something amazing in them so that they are built up. Joyce is going to come and we're going to sing just the closing song today. Um, Joyce, we're going to sing the first song on that list. Um, but uh, as we do that, um, I'm trying to think of how to close this because I had a whole other page. You understand that this passage goes on to say, the reason that we should do all of these things is because, uh, let me see, make sure I'm, 
the last half of uh, verse 5 in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Why, why should I do all of these things? Number one, because of the, the example of my Savior, that He was able to uh, serve men and take on that garment of a servant. But two, because if I don't, if I, if I want to choose to live a life of, of pride, if I want to continue establishing my own little kingdom, the Bible says God is against you. God opposes those who are proud. God is actively against those who are proud. But how do we gain the favor of God? He shows favor to those who are humble. That is totally opposed to anything you will find in the world. That is totally opposed to the way of the culture. But you understand that there is freedom in submitting myself and destroying my kingdom. There is freedom in that. Allowing Christ to clothe me as a servant to take on the beauty of His life. God, we thank You today. Just again for the opportunity to worship You, to be together. For what it means to be a servant. For the example of Your Son as a servant. And Father, we pray that in our own hearts that we would never establish ourselves as King, but we would take ourselves off the throne and allow You to be the King. Father, help us to be people that would seek humility. That we would take those the words that we see in Romans 12 and pray those over ourselves and over those in the congregation around us and the other congregations in this community and in America. That your church would be built up in humility. As we know, Father, that there's freedom in submitting ourselves to you. Father, we love you today. It's your name we pray. Amen.